Hey, this is Mike. I just wanted to cut in before this episode began and let you know we had an audio phasing issue where Sam is out of sync with us sometimes and we answer him as he speaks. It's a little raw too. I left in all of my uhs, ums, and but ums, which I think adds to the raw oddness of the movie we discussed this week, which is Repo Man. I also want to let you know that the episode after this will be The Long Kiss Goodnight coming out on Christmas Day and then Sam and I are going to start a release schedule of coming out every other Monday as opposed to every other Thursday. So after the Christmas Day episode on January 8th, we'll be talking Princess Bride. Enjoy the episode. In the world of Hollywood, movies get greenlit and redlit. They get remade and rebooted. But we are the ideal. I'm Sam Gash. And I'm Mike Bobbitt. And this is Ideal Remake. We're talking Repo Man with my, uh, this is kind of a a fun thing for me. Uh, We're hanging out with my buddy Jimmy Doom from the band Almighty Lumberjacks of Death. And he's also most notably in the movie uh, Kill the Irishman. And uh, Sam, I I didn't want to give you too much background about Jimmy. But when I was in high school, I was a big fan of Jimmy's band. And I would uh, kind of lip sync uh, concerts while listening to Jimmy's album. So Jimmy is a person that I was a huge fan of since I was a uh, teenager. And fast forward, you know, some odd years later, and Jimmy is one of my closest, most talented friends. He's an actor. He's a singer. He's a poet. He's a writer. Uh, he's just an all around great guy. So thanks but for I can't dance. Thanks, Mike. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't even know I could do all those things. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and Sam is uh, in uh, Justified. He gets killed by a, uh, a serial killer or something. Or do you just get raped by the serial killer, Sam? Oh, no, I, I get remember. brutally murdered. Oh, okay. Good. But not raped? Oh, no. Probably both. I mean, I thought it was implied that you were raped, too. Yeah. Because I, weren't you, like, I'm, tied to you, a bed you, in your yeah. underwear or something? I'm tied yeah. to a bed. I've got a ball gag in my mouth. I'm not seen for very long. But basically, he walks in the room, and I'm there cowering away from him, tied to the bed. He closes the door, and then you hear the sounds of him beating someone to death. And that's Sam. And Jimmy uh, gets nearly beaten to death uh, by... Ray Stevenson. Ray Stevenson and Kill the Irishman. And uh, Jimmy did uh, ended up doing the stunts for it. And it was really cool. The day after shooting that, I ran into Jimmy at a bar. And uh, he was showing me about how the fight coordinator was teaching him how to like really land a punch. So Jimmy, <laughs> after having a couple of celebratory drinks, was throwing punches at my face to where I could feel like the wind breaking by my nose. But to his credit, never accidentally hit me at all. Oh, but, wow. uh, which wouldn't shock you if you see the movie, because in the movie, I do not land a punch. Right. <laughs> whatsoever. I just take a bunch of them. I throw them wildly and then I get beat down. Right. So, uh, Almighty Lumberjacks of Death is, like, the premier Detroit punk band, which is why we asked Jimmy here today to talk about Repo Man, which is arguably the most punk rock movie I, th- I, I think ever made. Yeah, you're so, going to get emails about that. Right. Really? Well, what what, do you what think other movies fall in the... What, what other movies are in contention for the most punk rock movie? A narrative... Sid wow. and Nancy, but Sid and Nancy I no, don't think is nearly as yeah. punk as this. Yeah, because there was nothing really punk about Nancy Spungen to me. Like, no. she drained whatever punk would have been in that movie. And wouldn't that be a movie about rock and punk roll and not itself a punk yeah, movie? Yeah, okay, The Great Rock and Roll Swindle. Yeah, yeah. that's up there. Um, um, Decline of Western Civilization would be the one, except it's a documentary. It's a documentary, yeah. Yes. There's a 1978 movie called Jubilee, 
which is a uh, pretty punk rock as well. Um, kind of punky. It's insane. <laughs> I always say to that, you're kind of punky. Yeah, you're kind of punky. What on earth did I just watch? Okay, here's before we get into the plot, I'm going to get into the backstory of Repo Man. Alex Cox, uh, who kind of wrote uh, but did direct it, uh, he was a UCLA student that basically scammed Universal uh, into making a movie for him. Like, he did a short that Michael Nesmith from The Monkees saw and was like, oh, this guy's pretty cool. And Michael Nesmith signed on to be the executive producer for Repo Man. And it, this was just going to start off as a student picture, but then, like, Universal threw money at them and all these people that thought they were just going to do it, you know, deferred payment, were like, oh, wow, we're getting paid now? And uh, and he kind of... Um, kind of made it up as he went along, particularly with the ending uh, where investors weren't like super happy with the way some of the stuff was going. So he scrapped like two different ending ideas before settling on the ending we did get. And uh, Jimmy, I know you did a lot of research on this too. Like, am I right or partially right? Or that I didn't know the universal angle. I knew Mike Nesmith had his hands on it. And I knew, I knew Alex Cox, as you alluded to, he, uh, Dick Rude, who plays Duke, had written a short film, like a little punk rock film about some rowdy youth. And Alex Cox actually took some of that and used it in the movie Repo Man, obviously cast Dick Rude as Duke. Um, but originally he was supposed to be Otto as the lead. And then was kind of mad when they hired Emilio Estevez instead. Yeah, which yeah. probably which probably made Universal but, want to throw more money at it. Right. Uh, yeah, of course. And I mean, and this is kind of pre Breakfast Club, and really before. Yeah, I mean, Emilio it's not like he, really no, it, out, it was a but, it was his breakout role. Yeah, but I mean, still Emilio Estevez was still you know Martin Sheen's son. Yes. So, yeah. Yeah. That does help. Yeah. You can tell the short how- that. You can tell how famous Dick Root is when you look him up on IMDb Pro. His direct email address is there. Uh, he made the documentary on Joe Strummer. He uh, made a concert film. One of the, the document- documentaries. Yeah. He, didn't, he didn't make The Future is Unwritten. Oh, okay. He made a different one. Uh, he directed a lot of stuff for the Chili Peppers. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Catholic Schoolgirls Rule. He directed that video. Yeah. Um, Catholic Schoolgirls Rule. I just butchered that. But, yeah. yeah, that's that's, <laughs> well, that's why you're in a punk band, not uh-huh. a punk band. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, originally, Chris Penn was hired to play Kevin, and uh, they weren't happy because he went real John Belushi, Animal House with it over the top. So um, Xander Schloss, who later joined the the Circle Jerks, who played the lounge band in the movie, uh, was kind of bummed because he got bumped from playing Kevin for Chris Penn. And then he later found out when they fired Chris Penn, uh, they went with Xander Schloss. So, uh, you know, it has a happy ending. So that kind of explains to you why the movie feels kind of weird for you, Sam, because a lot of shit just kind of happened. And they said, yeah, okay, I guess it's like this now. Well, still with us, and again, <laughs> I don't know that much about this movie. Was this movie a commercial success? No. No, the soundtrack was, though. Um, the soundtrack is really what made the movie... Um, end up being kind of a cult hit. Oh, it was. I would say it was definitely a cult hit. Yeah, it was. And, and Rocky Horror, the Rocky Horror thing had started to wane, and I would say arguably that Repo Man was the next midnight movie cult hit 
to follow Rocky Yeah, I, I guess the Repo Man soundtrack, they look at it a lot as like the uh, kind of similar to the Easy Rider soundtrack, where it's kind of like the soundtrack to a generation. Yes. And what also helped, and Sam, I think this is going to blow your mind, Roger Ebert, Roger Ebert loved Repo Man. I bet. And, uh, I thought it surprised me at yeah, all. It, yeah, it's like he spent his day watching the same movie, the same movie, the same movie, the same movie. He probably loved to see someone swing for the fences. And that's what this movie is. Yeah. There's a Criterion collection for, uh, you know, Repo Man. Like, it's it's a cult hit. That it, one it has surprises a... So <laughs> here's the plot of Repo Man. A uh, cop pulls over a, a Chevy Malibu, and uh, the cop opens up the trunk. He's vaporized by bright white light. Cut that to... is their brilliant low-budget sci-fi thing right there. Yeah. So cheap to shine a light out of a damn trunk of a car. Yeah. Boom. <laughs> and, um... Apparently the tel- the made edited for television version of it they superimpose like satan over the license plate and over the light in the trunk and stuff like the television version is apparently way different than anything else Wait they the license it's two different license plates because in that scene in particular yeah. the car got stolen yeah. so they had to use a backup car so the license plate changes within that scene Really Yeah and, um, yeah, I'm full of trivia. Yes, this. that's great. I, I love um, that. But the television version, they keep superimposing Satan's face over it. And there's a different subplot completely about how it's actually the devil himself in the trunk of the car in the television version. Really? Yeah. So the guy just kidnapped the devil? Apparently so. I I want to find – I was looking on YouTube trying to find some of the television scenes, and I could not find them. But I'm super curious. Because that's one of the running things in the movie. It's something in the trunk. Is it aliens? Is it a neutrino bomb? It's something. When you guys were watching yeah, this movie like, for the first time, what was your, like, we're seeing this movie. This is what I think it is. I always thought it was aliens. Yeah. Jimmy and I, I, I were talking was, yeah. about that earlier. Yes. And, yeah, I, I still think it's the, the aliens. The, the characters in the film think it's drug-related. You know, once once the car becomes valuable, to once the repo company, Helping Hands, is offering this huge reward then everybody thinks there must be like 10 kilos in the trunk or something that that's the implication. But it, I think to the viewer, yeah, you, you really think there's alien stuff going on. Cause you've already seen the cop get vaporized and cocaine takes a lot longer to vaporize a human being than aliens. Yes. <laughs> in my, in my limited experience with cocaine and aliens. Right. Uh, so we cut to Otto. He's working. He's played by Emilio Estevez. He's working at a grocery store. He gets fired. His girlfriend cheats on him with Duke. He's wandering around. His LA. girlfriend cheats on uh, him with Duke while he goes to get her a, a beer. Like, go get me a beer. Well, Now's my chance. The house itself that that happens in kind of reminds me of a band house. And Jim, I think you, it's on purpose. Yeah, you have a lot of experiences being in band houses. Yes, I do. I could see that happening in a band house, someone leaving to get a beer and someone swooping in. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah, yeah. yes. <laughs> I've uh I've I've had band house experiences where uh someone's significant other came home drunk and I just happened to be closer and they were like, <laughs> Hey, why don't we? And I'm like, you know, why don't you go upstairs? It's only a short trip upstairs. Go see your boyfriend. Yeah. Yeah. The band house thing can be chaotic and, and guys in bands. I knew guys in bands who worked at grocery stores. Yeah. I mean, I think it's just a different world for us, Sam. Uh, yes. Otto's walking down the street. Uh, Bud, Harry Dean Stanton approaches him, gives him 25 bucks to drive a he car. He says, he hey, find- kid, want to make 10 bucks? 
That's that's our inciting uh, incident. The inciting incident in this movie is, hey, kid, want to make 10 bucks? So it turns out that Bud is a repo man, and it goes against uh, Otto's punk rock philosophy. Uh, but then he eventually caves in when he finds out that his parents gave all of his uh, the money they were saving for him to a televangelist. So it's Pat decide- Robinson, isn't it? No, it's no. Uh, his name is Reverend Larry. He's made up for the movie. That was another cut subplot where they wanted something to happen with one of the camera shots to show that Reverend Larry was actually a robot from the waist down. Oh, jeez. Yeah. What a heightened reality of a world. Yeah, there's a um, there's definitely a, a thing with like the early '80s punk bands where you know a lot of songs you know talking about you know the Reagan era of politics as well as televangelism. Like those were two really strong points. Yes, in music, definitely. Back then. And I mean yeah. they were intertwined. That's when the the Christian rights burgeoned under under Reagan, the the moral majority. I never associated Ronald Reagan with being like. A super like nowadays, I picture and this will be polarizing, but I don't care. But I, in, with broad strokes, paint the Republican Party as you know that's the Christian Party. But with Ronald Reagan being a Hollywood actor, I, I don't necessarily picture. No, him he, as, he was, I, if I'm not mistaken, he was only the the second divorced president and the I believe the first one to be nominated for his party's to represent his party after a divorce, something like that. Anyway, it doesn't matter, but, but he, he was around and, and the, the moral majority, cause the AIDS epidemic hit and, and which wasn't, a, you know, something that Reagan had any control over when that, that illness, when that plague hit, but it was his, his negative reaction to it helped make it. So people had to take sides. Why should we give government money to these quote unquote immoral people? And, and that was really a very polarizing time in America. And punk rockers took the side against Reagan, against the moral majority. Simple as that. So that's, that's where the, uh, the, the televangelism comes into. Oh, they were definitely, they they got more, they got more involved in politics. Before it was like, buy my Bible and, you know, you're going to go to heaven if you give me twenty five fifty a month or whatever the hell it was. And then televangelists started getting more actively involved in conservative po- politics. I'm sure they had always well, been I, involved to a certain point. But I didn't even interpret it that way. I saw that particular scene as less against the, the moral majority and more people being kind of slaves to what they see on TV. If it's seen on oh, TV, yeah, they yeah, that element too. I think yeah, that too. And it's, it's, it's so brilliantly written because it's not some it's not some black and white thing. If you listen to Otto's dialogue, he says he says, "My dad, remember you told me that when I wanted to go to college there would be money." And he's like, "Well, I'm going to go to college, but can I get the money now?" So it wasn't like Otto had some great opportunity that they screwed him out of. Right. He was kind of trying to screw them out of the money they that, promised him. Yeah. You know, so he wasn't completely absolved of guilt. It wasn't like some kid who couldn't go to, like, cello camp and went on a rampage. It was, you know, he was kind of a... a he missed out. Yeah. <laughs> cello camp was where it was at. Yeah. <laughs> so he ends up becoming a repo oh, man. Oh, I'm sorry. I missed a good joke. Let me take that again. Okay. Oh, man. He missed out. Cello camp was heavy. Because they're large instruments. <laughs> you guys, uh, I'll be here all night. <laughs> so anyway, so yeah. But I mean, yeah, I mean, his mom delivers that line like she's completely in somebody's rapture. 
Right. I Absolutely. I didn't look up uh, who the actors are who play. I, I have their names, Jonathan Hugger and Sharon Gregg, but I haven't looked up to see what else they've done. Okay, well, I can do that. I have um, one of these smartphone things. I have it pulled up here. But anyway, <laughs> he ends up um, becoming a Repo Man, and he finds that he enjoys it quite a bit. And uh, ends up stealing a uh, or repossessing a flashy red Cadillac. Sees uh, Leela running down the street. Ends up... Uh, Picking her up, they hook up. Uh, she works for the United Fruitcake Outlet and is um, uh, really into UFOs. Which, I don't know if you picked up on this. Do you know what the United Fruitcake Outlet was an acronym for? Could it be UFO? <laughs> Could it be? <laughs> no way! You guys figured it out. So, um, Jonathan Hugger <laughs> did a lot of television stuff. He was in uh, Airwolf playing Man Number One. <laughs> Oh, oh, wow. and he was in Misfits of Science. <laughs> was that an Emmy? Was that an Emmy nominated role? Yeah. Man, number one. He played Sam in uh, whatever I just looked up next. Sorry, and then Sharon Gregg has two. Whatever credits. it is, I respect it. Uh, Sharon Gregg plays Otto's mom and is also in Convicted, a mother story, as actress. That's her biggest Ooh. role. Yeah, is Otto's mom. I thought they might have been someone like noteworthy. Or I thought it was too. Yeah. So um, I'm sure in her own family, she's very noteworthy. Right. So Leela shows Otto's pictures of aliens that she says are in the trunk of a Chevy Malibu. Uh, she says that uh, they're emitting radiation, they're dangerous. And then we also find out that uh, there's sort of like a bounty out for the Chevy Malibu where it's uh, $20,000. And um, like Jimmy said, people assume that it's drug related. But uh, we- Now, correct me if I'm wrong. The person who establishes the $20,000 bounty on uh, the Chevy Malibu was the woman who was the secretary of the repo company. Correct. She was the one who then went and approached the other two guys who I couldn't figure out. Were they a rival repo company? What were they? The Rodriguez brothers. Like the- I, I think they're kind of a rival repo company. And um, there's a whole other scrap subplot where she's secretly working with them. And they're like Latin American revolutionaries. And they're doing the repossessing to stockpile weapons and... Um, and at the end of one of the scrapped endings, Otto was supposed to join up with them, take the car, and threaten to, like, nuke Los Angeles. Did they film that ending? No. 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 no they just scrapped it. Yeah. All right. Investors told Michael Nesmith, uh, they just actually... tell him that that's not happening. Yeah. And... Sorry, I was going to say, like the movie Clue, I could totally see this movie having different endings depending on which theater you went that to. That could be fun. There was another ending where the car was just... Something to put in our back pocket. Right. There was another ending where the car was just going to uh, be a nuclear explosion that would destroy Los Angeles. That was scrapped, too. And it turned out that people... Gee, I wonder why. People were just responding to my all-time favorite character actor, uh, Tracy Walter, uh, playing Miller. So that's why they went with the ending that they had. That uh, What if Miller's just right about everything? Yes. Despite alternate endings, they would have to have... They would have to have the immortal line, but I don't, what about a relation, relationship? Relationship. Fuck that. Yeah, fuck that. <laughs> um, trivia about Miller. Uh, Jimmy and I made a pilot, uh, sort of uh, an odd couple kind of thing, um, where Jimmy played the ghost of a punk rocker and I played a stand-up comedian. And and, and we haven't left those roles to this day. Right? <laughs> and uh, in that, there was a character named Miller... Uh, who 
was the eccentric guy who was the only other person who could see Jimmy's ghost character besides myself. So everyone thought that Miller and our pilot was talking to himself, but he was actually talking to Jimmy. And then you find out in like the second or third episode, uh, when we start to see, you know, Jimmy's character through other people's perspectives that, uh, uh, if you went back and rewatched the first two episodes, you, you would be like, Oh, Miller wasn't crazy. So there was that connection because I like that character so much. And then in Spacebar, the pilot that uh, DJ Dangler and I uh, were trying to sell, uh, there's a character named Walter who looks a lot like Tracy Walter and uh, is a janitor aboard a space station who later we had it, it was going to be revealed that he's essentially a god in this universe, uh, also based on... Oh, that would have been amazing. I know, but... I love that. I think Spacebar is not going, so I'm more... I'm talking about the plot more freely these days. So, uh, yeah, uh, this is in prayers, an ideal remake exclusive. (laughs) (laughs) Mike's dreams are dead. (laughs) Oh, no. Okay. So Debbie and Duke and Archie now are running around doing crimes and just keep missing Otto and Bud. Or they're in the same place, but they're robbing a liquor store and they're hiding behind the counter and stuff. So that's happening at the same time, too, is another loose thread to the movie. Um, the Chevy Malibu shows up in L.A. It changes hands a lot. And actually, the the three punks who are running around doing crime end up stealing the Malibu. Uh, but the From the uh, Rodriguez okay. brothers. And then... Um, who steal it from J. Frank Parnell is the driver. But J. Frank Parnell finds it. The punks have it. He tricks them into opening it up the trunk. It vaporizes uh, Archie. And then Duke and Debbie say, uh, let's go do crime. And Duke says his line, yeah, let's go eat sushi and, and not, not pay. pay. Yeah. yeah. One of those great <laughs> quotable <laughs> lines of the movies. That is a pretty great yeah. line. Um, so... Changes plots, uh, hands a lot. Uh, there's government agents after it. One of the government agents is actually played by Jimmy Buffett. There's what really? Yep, <laughs> really. You could look at Repo Man as a prequel to the X Files, yeah, exactly. Yeah, they um, <laughs> somehow Alex Cox was friends with Jimmy Buffett and he said, Hey, you want to be in my movie? and he was like, Yeah, sure. Somehow someone else involved with the movie was friends with Muhammad Ali, and they were like, hey, will you do a scene at the end where, like, not even Muhammad Ali can touch the car, and then you'll get vaporized? And Muhammad Ali was, like, really nice, apparently, but said, yeah, I'm going to pass, though. So wouldn't that have just been great, though, at the end? (laughs) That would have been pretty amazing. (laughs) The government agent... Knowing what we know now, if they had known that back then, if they had known... Putting Muhammad Ali in that movie would have boosted its audience... Greatly, greatly. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. Do you think that audience would have made it to the point that Muhammad Ali was in the movie? I think some people would have grumbled that he wasn't a prominent enough part that, it, you know, but I'm just saying from a, from a future, from a future perspective, been... being able to put Muhammad Ali's name on the, on the DVD case would have made them much more money. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. That would have been pretty Here's amazing. Muhammad Ali More so than Jimmy Buffett. Right. <laughs> uh, did you guys know that Muhammad Ali Long is crowd. the only person to have a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame that is not on the ground? Because it would be disrespectful for his uh, Muslim culture to have people step really? on Where the name it? Muhammad. It's actually hanging on the wall 
inside the Dolby Theater, right inside the entrance, right off of Hollywood Boulevard. Really? Yeah. You learn something new every day. I've heard that somewhere, but it's one of those facts that's always fun. And Donald Trump's star in the Hollywood Walk of Fame is in a urinal in the Dolby Theater. (laughs) (laughs) It's funny when people are talking about his star getting defaced. If you look at a lot of the stars on the Walk of Fame, like, how could you necessarily tell? Like, a lot of them are kind of covered in shit and trash. So Yeah, that's the thing about Hollywood Boulevard. It's awful. Every time I had a friend that would visit me from out of town and they would want to see things like the Walk of Fame, and we'd be, you know, they'd be a closed down porno shop, someone sleeping outside of it. Everyone would be like, wow, the Walk of Fame is a lot, a lot rougher than I imagined. Like, yep, it really is. They can go in front of the Chinese theater where uh, some guy dressed as a pea-stained Spider-Man uh, <laughs> might not get a boner as he poses with your preteen daughter. Uh I can always, yeah, I can always go play like an an aging crack addicted Aquaman <laughs> on, on Hollywood Boulevard. Uh, there are some people who literally live off of Hollywood Boulevard, and that's just that's just their life. They wake up, walk down to the boulevard, get enough money for a shot of heroin, yeah. and call it a day. I haven't watched that documentary. Um, Neither have I. Uh, friend of the show, Zach Luna has. It's okay, that's it. and our friend uh, Zach Luna, who will be on our episode where we talk about the Princess Bride, uh, is does cosplay as Spider Man, and as I openly weep that I didn't get invited <laughs> to the Princess Bride episode, <laughs> Jimmy, you're just so much more punk than you are, dashing swashbuckler. <sighs> now I'm really devastated. Look, uh, eventually the car is <laughs> glowing green. Uh, Miller gets in, invites uh, Otto. And uh, they fly around uh, Los Angeles and then into space. The end, Q reverse titles. That was so weird. The way the titles went down instead of up. They go, uh, yeah, like that That took me by surprise. And I was like, that's amazing. Yeah, there's a lot of neat little detail. This is why I appreciate Repo Man so much. There's a scene where there's hail and they couldn't really, what they ended up doing was just buying a bunch of ice cubes and having a couple people drop them in front of the camera. So to set that up as a joke earlier in the movie, there's a radio report talking about weird cube-shaped hail. So, like, it's a movie that's completely really? self-aware of what it is. <laughs> Kevin singing the 7-Up theme song early in the movie. Later, when they end up at the, uh, when Otto tells everyone that it's the manager of the grocery store that beat him up. Uh, you can hear the theme song to 7-Up playing in the background, and out of focus, Kevin is there. It's implied that he's, you know, servicing the uh, grocery store manager. And I, I just love that there's all these weird little details. Uh, the lounge band is the Circle Jerks playing a lounge version of one of their songs. There's it's There's layers. Like, it's one of those things that I've seen Repo Man probably... Uh, close to a dozen times, and in rewatching it, there's still new stuff that I never noticed before, which is an absolute hallmark of the cult film. Yeah, absolute hallmark of the cult film. And then obviously, Alex Cox went on to tons of other films that are very well regarded. One, <laughs> only one. One. Wait, Sid Nancy. What? Sid Nancy's the only. No, he, one. Wait, get, get out your little IMDb thing. There is another Alex Cox film. There you go. And Fear, then, yeah, as a writer, straight to hell. There you go. I'm talking about writer, not... Yes. What's Straight to Hell? Oh, boy. Straight to Hell. He is uncredited, 
as director. No, no, he's a thug in the Amazulu band, uncredited, oh. and then he's also the director and the writer. Yeah, mm-hmm. this is that weird Western one, yeah, isn't it? Okay. Yeah. yeah. I, with I Joe Strummer. Anything with Joe Strummer in it, I'm automatically going to like. And and Courtney Love. Um, I'm automatically going to not like as well. It has, yeah, it has a few of the people from Repo Man in it. Yes. Um, I don't think it's as critically regarded as Sid Nancy. I, I think Repo Man and Sid Nancy commercially He, okay, he, he wouldn't have had the opportunities to make those films had it not been for Repo Man. Right. So, yeah. how are we going to remake this film? Well, we have to talk about what Repo Man is, because at its heart, Repo Man is yes. a punk yeah, rock that's movie. That's the thing. Well, but, I think the first question is, if we re- when we remake it, is it still set in the 80s? Or... I don't think it can be, because I think that's something that appealed to people in the 80s. I feel like if you were to make it now, I don't even know if it could be a punk rock movie, because the thing that people say is, like... I don't necessarily say, which oh, my means, God, that's punk rock. I say, oh, my God, that's super metal. It would have three things. It would have to be dubstep, EDM, or friggin' alt-country. Like, <laughs> that's... I don't. I honestly don't think it should be any of those. I think it no. should be metal. Like, 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 I what, think it should like be, what subgenre no? of metal would it be? Like, I'm not familiar enough with music. I mean, it would be hilarious if it was Norwegian black metal. I mean, but that it would be a very difficult sell. Well... One of like one of the big scenes in Repo Man that kind of was like this is what this movie kind of is is when he he just gets fired from the grocery store and he's walking under the bridge and people are blasting music and dancing and they're like kind of having like a pseudo mosh pit and then he sees his friend who just got out of jail. I think that's like they're listening to punk music. If okay, you, if you great. wanted to, people who are dancing and having a party, up, if you wanted to update it as a punk, people who are, thing, I mean, I'm sure there's young punk bands who would love to be involved. What's the music that people are listening to? What are the people blasting rap. under bridges today? Yeah, I, like what's the rap trap? Like, yeah, although surprised. that may okay. be it, that may have already gone too mainstream. And if you were going back to underground stuff, you would be looking at like say alt country, which I know nothing about. Well, I mean, if you're and if you're going to make the rap movie, you just end up making straight out of Compton with but with uh, like here's my problem with alt country though. Like alt country isn't dangerous. Like there was a perceived danger to punk rock culture yes. that I don't think is there for anything beyond like, you know, like thrash metal or black metal. Um, and like, if we were going to set it in Norway, then we could have it be a black metal movie. But I, I like the idea of keeping this as a period piece, letting it stay a punk rock movie. I, I had a couple ideas. I, I Usually I start with a cast and then kind of go for writer director last. But I, I feel like with this, I had to crack some ideas for a writer director and I came up with um, a few ideas. Uh, at first I thought it would be kind of neat to do Emilio Estevez to write and direct it. But Emilio Estevez, the problem is though that Emilio Estevez has no interest in ever looking back, which is why he isn't part of any of the commentaries or uh, reunions or anything like that for this movie. Um, yeah. Uh, He's just raking in that sweet, well, sweet, yeah. mighty ducks <laughs> and, money. Uh, someone who captured the grittiness of Los Angeles nowadays was Sean Baker with Tangerine. And I thought that could be kind of cool. Uh, the Florida Project is awesome, too. So I think Sean Baker would be a great pick. Um, but I think David Lynch could be interesting and just yeah. kind of heighten the weirdness of Repo Man, which there's certainly an abundance of weirdness. Uh, but the one that I like the most... I. I think um, 
because this is such a California movie, I think Paul Thomas Anderson uh, could do something kind of neat with this and make it kind of uh, make Repo Man a remake of Repo Man an Oscar contender. As aside from Inherent Vice, like all of his movies have made money. Yeah, that's why I was thinking Paul Thomas Anderson to write and direct a remake. Okay. All right. Um, well, let me ask a clarification question. At the end of the day, who is, what group of people is Repo Man about? Because it feels like it's kind of about like the disenfranchised youth, the people who society is a little bit afraid of and the kids don't really get what their parents, like don't get what their parents are doing. And it's about these kids who kind of like don't necessarily, the kind of the, the outcasts of society doing a job that is nothing but well, outcasts thing, of society, Otto isn't. right? Like he, when Duke has his dying scene and he blames society, um, you know, Otto's like, you know, fuck that. You're just a, a bored kid from the suburbs just like me. Like, Otto doesn't really... Otto's just a guy looking for a place to fit in. Like, he's wearing the costume of the punk rock, you know, person, but he um, adapts very quickly. Like, by the end of the movie, he's pretty preppy, Uh I wouldn't go that far, but they, I mean, if we're going in real life, there there were people, are people like that. You see it more now that we're older. Is it people that had good taste in music, didn't really know where they fit in, didn't weren't part of the jock culture, and they went to a lot of cool shows, but now they have like the mid level ma- management gig, and you still see them at shows, but nine to five, they are wearing a tie and doing lame stuff that they said they would never do. I ask because I have two alternative okay. pitches for you. One of whom is uh, Ryan Coogler, uh, the guy who wrote Fruitvale Station. He's now working on Black Panther. Uh, or the other option I had was Scott Silver, who wrote Eight Mile. Ooh. Hmm. Michael, Michael said a word I didn't think was going to come up in this conversation. Oscar. Oscar. And <laughs> I'm going to... It hates... I hate that I cannot pronounce this man's name because I like his work so much. Inuritu? Oh, Yeah. The oh. Revenant, the Revenant, and the guy who did um, uh, 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 Birdman. Uh, 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 yes, I was going to say that you were uh, eyeing on me, but yeah, the B- B- Birdman, uh, Birdman has to be in my top three favorite films of all time. It really is. It's so good. Now think about it, like tracking shots of all of Otto and and the gang's exploits, and then the dream sequences are the Malibu. Yeah, I I think visually he would make it look really really cool. But I feel like... Because you said that part of L.A. is gone, you would have to give it some kind of fantastical element to recreate. Yeah. Who, um... I'm trying to look up. Who was his, um... The cinematographer? It it wasn't Lubeski that, uh, did all the one... Who is credited with the way that, um... Uh, Emmanuel Lubeski. Oh, I guess he would be. Yeah, I I wouldn't mind him shooting it, uh, Emmanuel Lubezki, um, which I, I think the look of, can we just say Alejandro? <laughs> yeah, Alejandro. Yeah, Alejandro. <laughs> I can't pronounce it either unless Sam pulls it out and uh, phonetically breaks it down for me. Alejandro Inaritu? I, I, I thought there was in an Enya in there, like Inaritu. Yeah. It like might a, be, Inaritu. Yeah. Whatever. The guy's a genius and he... He's responsible for one of my favorite films of all time, so he gets the nod. What if we from just me. what if we just let his cinematographer shoot it? Well, let's make Emmanuel Lubezki our our DP. That's not something we have right. generally done on the podcast. But I, it's a yeah, cool idea. Then we get the look of I think Inaritu's 
it's I'm gonna pause. I'm gonna edit out every pause before I say his name. <laughs> now I can't because I said that. Because <laughs> um, we still get the look of Ooh, the magic and mystery by having you know uh, Emmanuel Lubeski. Imagine following Otto like over, not over the shoulder, just slightly behind the shoulder, like following him into the repo office. Oh yeah, like, that just the really one cool. shot that uh, he does in Children of Men. That's the big chase scene that the camera is mounted on a system that goes inside and outside of the vehicle. Like that more so than anything in the Revenant or Birdman, just because it was on such a smaller budget and it was done with like hardware, I think is like the best action car sequence in any movie ever. So, but that's the DP, I I feel like. Okay, right on. There you go. I feel like if we're grabbing the DP, we should also kind of snag the editor because the editor on The Revenant and uh, Birdman is uh, a guy named Stefan Mirion. And I feel like if he was the editor on these two movies, he and Emmanuel Lubezki would kind of know this is the shot okay, to go to edit it this way. I, that's valid. But I don't think that's, I want, I don't think that's I want, a major uh, thing. But. I want the animatronic bear to play Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not opposed to that. Uh, <laughs> Couldn't we just kind of do like Rogue One and just have a CG Chris Penn come back? And, and now here's where Mike really kicks me out of the house. I haven't seen Rogue One yet. <laughs> Here's where I kick myself out of the house. I was watching, rewatching Rogue One on an airplane. I had like a half hour before the plane was going to land, so I was like, "I'll just watch the scenes that I like in Rogue One." And uh, I kept fast forwarding, and I realized I only like the last minute of Rogue One. Wow. I don't even own it. It's I have the Star Wars Holiday Special out there. I have the Ewok movies out there. I don't own Rogue One. Wow, not okay. yet. I, I'm sure I will. But yeah, but I do. Yep, I do. I didn't. Okay, I, would, I was going to say, do you just gift, have a screener because it. it's nominated for an award? Or I have been getting well, it wasn't nominated for oh, an yeah, award this year, year, but right. uh, but I have been getting so many screeners. Like coming home every day is always a fun surprise because I get screeners in the mail. So today I got home and I had a copy of Mother and uh, Downsizing. <laughs> Who's playing Otto? Okay, now now this is very very crucial here. Are we still going Oscar? Well, ignoring Oscar, who do you think is best for the role? Mike said to me earlier, making it a hit. Because I would never in a trillion years suggest this guy for Otto unless we were talking box office. And if we're talking box office, then Zac Efron, as I throw up in my mouth. Uh, He's not punk rock No, I know. But he he said hit. He said hit. I can go anywhere else if we're not talking about box office. You know... Here's the thing. The last three or four movies that Zac Efron has been in have not been box office successes. Zac Efron is actually on a on a decline. He's still very likable, and everyone who works with him really, really likes him. He's an incredibly nice guy, but he's not much of a box office draw okay, anymore. I'd be, so I actually I'd be more than happy to not have him in our movie. I don't think this is the right movie for him anyway. I think if we were remaking a Point Break, he'd be great, say that but for this, he, not so much. To argue for him, I think he's really good in me and Orson Welles. Like, I think he's legitimately a good actor. I, I agree. I also think he's a good actor, okay. but I don't think he's this kind um, of actor. I have a couple ideas that I'm not married to. I was thinking Aubrey Plaza as Otto. She has Ooh, the kind of outside the perimeters, doesn't really fit in any kind of box thing going. Or I was thinking 
Um, Elijah if someone, would, if someone was going to amputate my foot without anesthesia, I would let Aubrey Plaza do it. I would put Aubrey Plaza in just about anything. I adore Aubrey Plaza, so it, it would be weird. Great, it, let's, but let's it would do be that. cool. So now, do we change the gender of Layla, or do we do we make do, do we make it a lesbian movie? I think it's fine. Yeah, I think yeah. I because yeah, I, I, I think had, that's fine too. I'm actually more into my idea of Layla than I was into my idea for Otto. Uh, my idea for Layla was Greta Gerwig because she plays that sort of like not like Layla isn't the manic pixie dream girl, but she's like the weird. She's a weirdo, but you know. Yeah, I get you. Yeah. She's more, um, she's more like the, the weirdo chick from, uh, 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 Breakfast Club. Like one of those people who's one thing one minute, another thing another. I'm not familiar with Greta Gerwig. Really Uh, great. And, you know, Frances Ha, you know, she just wrote and directed Lady Bird. Which is doing, which is nothing Um, but nice things are being said about it. She's a really, like, I'm not a mumblecore fan at all, but Mm. she's like, the princess of mumblecore and i'm sure you know that makes sense yeah. as much as i don't really like that and it yeah scares me somewhat i just just bounced up i don't yeah. <laughs> um. interesting okay cool uh bud i i have to just get this out of the way you gotta say just once you gotta say it for posterity it would be nice to use a holographic harry dean stanton <laughs> you cannot replace harry dean stanton Having said that, I and remember he said to me earlier in the day, hit, uh-huh. and and this is an actor I respect both on and off camera, I would say Brian Cranston. I like that. Brian yeah. Cranston would be pretty good. I have I have an alternative pitch, but yeah, I love the idea of Brian Cranston. It's going to be a good Cranston. alternative pitch. Yeah, let me hit it. Hit yeah. us. I want to hear it. Uh, what My idea was, because Harry Dean Stanton is basically this guy who's like, kind of looks together, but is kind of just like falling yeah. apart on the inside. And so my pitch was for the for Bud, we get the other Estevez. No. Charlie Sheen. Charlie Sheen isn't old enough. His arc is he just completely loses it. Like he gives you his coda of what a repo man does not do, and by the end, you know he's breaking his own rules. In, he says, "No, you know, only a fool gets shot over a car." He gets shot at the end over a car. Yeah, I I think Brian Cranston. <laughs> you know, could pull off the arc that Bud has. Really yeah, well. I think they, now that you put it that way, I like it even more. Yeah. My idea was Danny Trejo, but, uh, well, but yeah, uh, Brian Cranston is a much better idea. Then let's move on to Miller. Miller, I'm going to start us off with, why not John Malkovich? Um, because I think there's nothing, I think Miller is the kind of guy who is so likable that even though he's saying these really, you know, Things that even at the time, you know, I, Malkovich. Here's what I'm going to say while you collect your thoughts, because I know you love Miller, but Malkovich doesn't come onto the screen with any sort of underdog vibe. Yes, like there's no underdog, and Miller has a strong underdog vibe. I, I think keeping with the well, have you guys seen the movie? Have you guys seen Red? Yeah, no, but I just. Uh, I mean. My my Miller is <laughs> so far afield, although we might have touched on it a little bit earlier with you guys not being able to even know where I was going to go with it. But give me some more Millers. And I'll- my Miller, keeping with the P.T. Anderson family, is the ultimate underdog, Mr. Cellophane from Chicago, John C. Riley. Oh, 
I think Ooh. he could pull off the weirdness, the likability, and you could. I think he's great, but not for that part. I think, I think he could pull uh, that off, uh, uh, Mister Cellophane. I think he absolutely could, but I think he needs to be the guy in the car driving the car. You like him for Parnell? Yeah, I, I think, think he could he do needs both, to be J. Frank which is a Parnell. tribute to John C. Riley. For Parnell, absolutely. I was thinking John Turturro. Okay, you want to hear my Miller? Yeah, and it's uh, like this is the first Let's thing I thought of where Mike is going to kick me out of his house. Here you go, baby. Sean Hayes from Will and Grace. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really? Okay, I, walk us I through it. I've never watched Will and Grace, so I know nothing about Sean Hayes other than I have go seen ahead. commercials for Will and Grace I, because the original had this offbeat, unexpected wackiness to it that that kind of like you you didn't. You you touched on this. You didn't know where it was going, what it was about. It kind of I know you didn't really enjoy it, but it does take you on kind of a ride. I think Sean Hayes because you can't. It's like covering a band song. You you, you either do it note for note the way the original band did it, or you have to take it somewhere, put your own spin on it. And there's a lot of character actors who could do an homage to the original Miller, but Sean Hayes would be a new different Miller for my limited knowledge of Sean Hayes. This is what I'll say in his favor that I understand that his character and Megan Mullally's character ended up being scene stealer stealers for will and grace. So I, I think you're right by reputation for me that Sean Hayes is the kind of person, because that's essentially what Tracy Walter does here is he ends up being the scene stealer. Yeah. Uh, he steals repo man. Uh, I I'll second that Sean Hayes. Wow. I got two. Yay. And then let's let's go with Sam's <laughs> idea of putting John uh, Riley as Parnell. Okay, there you go. Yeah. I was actually leaning towards John Turturro for Miller because I think like his character in Barton Fink is kind of a good flip for it. Because I've seen um, Sean Miller in a couple different things. Because like, I have seen Will and Grace and I watched a couple episodes of the show he did after it, which wasn't very good. But uh, I think it's Sean Saves the World. And... I think he's a very upbeat energy, but I don't think he kind of has the weight of the world on his shoulders. But neither does um, Miller. He, I oh, think he watches you know the who? world with detachment. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I Like, I, I didn't feel any weight on Miller's shoulders either. Okay, all right. Then you're right. Sean Hayes, thank you. I was saying yeah. Sean Miller, which is wrong. I think Sean Hayes, then yeah, like someone who watches the world go by and doesn't let it affect them. Okay. That actually is Sean Hayes. What's the... I love this right. game. Three for yeah. three. Shot eight uh, for Miller. Kevin. Xander Schloss. <laughs> Who should play the nerdy? <laughs> I'll throw mine out there real quick. He said hit. It, and Xander Schloss ended up being like known as a musician. There's definitely a musician angle there. So for hit, I said Ed Sheeran. Um, How about oh. uh, instead the guy from... The guy who's dating Lena Dunham. Uh, Safe Pedro. Oh, God. Um, I don't know who that he's, is. Um, he was in that band... Uh, Fuck. Uh, <laughs> That's a great name for a band. Isn't the band Fun? <laughs> and, uh, yeah, Fun, fun with, with the period. period? I actually really like him as a musician. I mean, look, edit this. the and obvious he looks choice to play nerdy. this character. Jack Antonoff. Yeah, Jack Antonoff. Bleachers and, oh, and Fun. The lead yep. guitar, guitarist of Fun. But look at the way he looks. I mean, guys, look, if you want to do something where it's, like, um, a very similar character, you get John Hedder. I think he'd be too old now. Yeah, I think he is too old, and I think Kevin's almost a prototype for his character. Like, yeah. It is, 
But that's why I think it'd be funny because we know who that guy is. So he comes in looking like that, but then behaving entirely different. Like he, we set it up as all the expectations for that character. Like, ah, oh, this character is just like the dweeby guy. But that's the way that character was then. That's the perception of that character for that kind of movie. Now people who look like that aren't automatically up oh, there, the nerd. Now they're kind of like the hipstery person, like who like knows the indie rock bands I think if you're going to get this guy, the guy with like the curly hair and the glasses, you either take the idea of that character and flip it, or you get someone completely indie well, that, rock. That's what I'm saying. Look up Jack Antonoff, and I, I think I think when you see who we're talking about, you'll be like, oh, yeah, okay, I get that, because he has that indie rock. You mean the guy who did a soundtrack for Fifty Shades Darker? He probably did. He's a great songwriter. <laughs> I see. Yeah. I see what Those you mean. Two connected, being a great songwriter and doing a sequel to a. Well, he writes songs for other people, so I yeah. could see him writing a score, a film score. He wrote. He wrote for Charlie XCX. He's written for Taylor Swift for Pink. I think. I think it. I, I'm not necessarily opposed to this actor. I just think that we can do better with the characterization, and that I think he can look exactly like he does, but actually be like the probably I, I the cool hip guy John Hader because I, I think that was. I think you could pull it. It would be funny. I mean, it might be a, an original, like an initial. I mean, sight gag. I just feel like John. Then let's Hader's do it this way. On the nose. Let's do. Let's. Then, well, then let's make John Hader the guy who runs the grocery store, the manager okay. of the grocery store, like literally the boss of Jack Antonoff. Okay, sure. Would that work? I didn't even have grocery store manager written down as a part we were going to cast, but that works. Let's, um, I didn't think we did. That's why I'm throwing it in there. Let's so throw I can get the one. trio of uh, Debbie, Duke, and Archie. That's tough. Okay. Duke's in that era. Him having a completely shaved head as a young man, that was, like, really edgy. And now that wouldn't be the slightest bit edgy. And s- since I figured we might be updating it, the white rapper Machine Gun Kelly hmm. would be would be a guy that... He's not a, a particularly spectacular actor, but if you look at the scenes... Yeah, it doesn't really require a, a whole lot. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he has a dangerous look about him. Yeah. He, like, he, I mean, he does look like someone that I think will pro- ha- probably will be and probably has been punched in the face. <laughs> yeah. What about him for Duke? And then, uh, as an inside gag, uh, cast Flea and Amy Mann as Debbie and Archie... <laughs> As their characters from uh, Big Lebowski. Was that Big Lebowski where they played the Nihilists? Yes, it is. It's sort of one of those things where um, Jordan Peele was talking about how he supports the theory that Get Out is a sequel to being John Malkovich. Um, (laughs) So what if the remake of Repo Man is sort of a sequel to the Big Lebowski because Amy Mann and Flea are playing the same characters? I'm down with that. I'm into it. That sounds funny. Okay. And Unfortunately, then, the one thing that means is that we've lost a little bit of our diversity in this movie, so I think we need to get a little bit of it back. What if we scrap the John... Oh, well, you mean you mean ethnicity-wise? Yeah. Um, I already, yeah. for Marlene, which, and I kind of I kind of think it's sort of crappy to stay the same ethnicity to cast something, except when he said Aubrey Plaza, who's one of my favorites, I had already, for one of my favorites, Natalie Emanuel as Marlene. Uh, she's uh, I. Uh, Missandei from uh, Game of Thrones. She's stunning. Oh, stunning. she's so good. Yeah, and she's a great actress. Yes, she's perfect. Yes, that should bring yeah, her up. I'm immediately on board for no? that. Oh, I know who you're talking about. When I just saw yeah, her age. Okay. yeah. 
Yeah, and if we're keeping this a period piece, then we can have these broad ethnic stereotypes. And let's have Danny Trejo in there as one of the Rodriguez brothers. I know he's older, but maybe... Um, I don't think... Well, why don't we have Danny... Who, who did we cast as the guy who runs the repo shop? Whose shop is it? What's that guy's name? Uh, Ollie? He's the guy is that it? makes Otto pour out the beer. Well, he gives Otto the beer. Yeah. Yeah, why yeah, don't you make the Danny beer, Trejo but he, him? But then oh, when Otto says, We're, you're a repo man, he responds, that's right, kid, and then Otto pours out the beer. Right. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Why don't, we make, why don't we make them all work for Danny okay, Trejo? I like that idea. And then I was thinking for Light, the character who's sort of like the opposite of Bud, uh, Cy Richardson in the original, Ice Cube. Yeah, sold. If we have the Reverend Larry, uh, uh, I don't know. I, I was thinking Mike Muir from from Suicide. Suicide so tendencies for yeah. the Reverend. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I don't even remember the character it's at all. Stunk. Yeah, you thought it was a real. You thought it was Pat Robertson. Oh, 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 oh. oh. Who are we casting as the Rodriguez brothers? Ooh. Um, Why don't you guys look up uh, the character? Uh, I'm sorry, the character, the actor named uh, Ludi Lin. L U D I space L I N. Okay. He in the new Power Ra- in the new Power Rangers movie he played uh, he played the Black Ranger and I he hasn't done a whole lot but my impression of him is that he's kind of like an up and coming like young action star. He's Asian though he's not Latino. I'm okay. aware of that. They wouldn't be the Rodriguez brothers anymore. Okay, yeah, that's fine. Los Angeles like, has a large Asian population too. I, I think it'd be more interesting if we had to. Uh, uh, Asian brothers as opposed to Latino brothers necessarily. Okay, I'm for that. And uh, that and that way, like, and that way, I think that like, you could. I, I have someone in my mind to play uh, the other brother, and I can't think of it right now. I don't know why I'm oh, blanking. God. What was that movie that we watched with uh, Diane? I'm blanking on. I think I think the Rodriguez brothers should be all four brothers from four brothers. <laughs> four brothers from four brothers. <laughs> Wahlberg. Mike, are you joke. thinking of the movie A Separation? No, not a separation. Um, the action. One with uh, where they're getting out of the building. Oh, the raid. Oh, oh, uh, uh, the raid. Yeah. What about for the older Ooh, yeah. um, Rodriguez brother? You know what? Even better. How about the yeah, Ico Ico Lewis. Instead of him, how about the 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 tough guy from the raid, Yayan Ru- Ruian? Who uh, he's perfect because he's also the choreographer yeah. from the raid. So we can have great fight scenes with the rival Asian repo guys. Because I think that I think it'd be more interesting if they came in and beat the the repo men up. Because no one really has a a car race through a a wash. Well, we're, I think still that have would a be great more car sequence because of our cinematographer and our editor. So absolutely. Yeah. Um, the other thing I would say is that because this movie is a little bit about subverting expectations, we could, I think it'd be fun to cast this uh, Yayan Ruhian, the, the choreographer of the raid. But one of the things that a lot of Hollywood movies do is they cast a couple of Asian guys. They expect them to do like an amazing fight scene. And I think they certainly could. And I think it'd be really funny if we set up an amazing fight scene and then they just shot a guy in the knees. Oh, go Raiders the Lost, the Lost Ark. Ark. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A little bit, just because, I mean, that's the Hollywood expectation. Oh, they're Asian guys. They must be good at at some Math. form of martial arts and we can even <laughs> cast someone we can even cast someone who is known for that and then kind of subvert that expectation of no i i'm just gonna do this instead what no and i bet he would love to have a role where he wouldn't have to flip off of walls well i mean i bet that he's a choreographer and he does that for a living because he loves doing that but i don't, know, I don't necessarily I don't disagree telling jokes yeah. Fair. i'm kidding i it's my life all right let's it's recap this thing well so we have 
Well, hold on. One, one, one second. One last thing that I want to do before... Well, in the original movie, it's aliens. But we're now... Even if we're going back and we're doing this in the 80s, do we still want it to be aliens? That's in the trunk of Absolutely. the car? Yes. I mean, we're, right. I'm sorry. I think well, we jumped you. Do you have a cool alternative? I don't. I just want to like talk about kind of like... I always like to... After we do the cast, I like to talk about like kind of some of the underlying themes that the movie represents. Because we've kind of talked about what punk is and what it is and it isn't and how that's represented today. I would say if you're well, using an alien alternative and keeping the same ray of light with people getting vaporized, it would have to be some sort of foreign or terrorist power. And then I think you take it into a bad political place. It becomes more of a political film than a fringe of society film, I think. Well, I, I also like the I, idea I of right. um, kind of going the Pulp Fiction route of never... I think one of the flaws of Repo Man is, at least for me, it's very clear that it's the bodies of the aliens. I think what would make it even better would be if it was completely ambiguous about what it is. I think that's better. That's kind of more what I'm leaning towards. Like, maybe it's aliens, maybe it's... Because I think it's more interesting if after okay, the movie, so, people talk like, what did you so think it was? So what, what do you give the audience as the climax? If... If Otto doesn't go, Otto and Miller don't take off with the aliens. What? What's their bang? What's their? How does it reconcile itself? I think I don't think they necessarily because one of the things that the Miller character talked about, Miller character talked about, was that they're not, uh, they're not space they're machines. Travelers. They're time yeah. machines, and he and he they and yet they still fly up into space. I think it'd be more interesting if it's like a huge build up, build up, build up. This huge flash of light, and then it's just gone. That's just gone. Instead of like CGI flying around the skies of Los Angeles, you do more of a uh, uh, um, safety not guaranteed. Yeah, I like that idea. Let it be more ambiguous, as opposed like did they uh-huh. go? Did they vaporize? Did they go somewhere else in time? Did they go to a different planet? Yeah, I I like the idea of keeping it a lot of ambi- ambiguity. Amb- ambiguity. 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 Yeah. Ambiguity is right. Those are kind of the two things that I I thought, like the alien and kind of the finale. So that's that's more interesting yeah. for me. I think being ambiguous, <laughs> see what I did there, is a lot better. <laughs> um, okay, so let's let's recap what we got <laughs> here. Um, so Absolutely. we're taking the Alejandro Inarritu's uh, staff of Emmanuel Lubeski and Stephen uh, Marone uh, to be the DP and editor of this. We're letting P.T. Anderson, L.A.'s favorite child, son of, um, I think, the ghoul. Really? Um, yeah. Uh, he's going to write and direct it. Playing Otto, flipping genders as Aubrey Plaza. Bud is Brian Cranston. Miller is Sean Hayes. Leela is Greta Gerwig. Parnell, the driver, is John C. Riley. Kevin, the nerd, is Jack Antonoff. The manager of the grocery store is John Heater. Light is Ice Cube. The not Rodriguez brothers, the Asian uh, rival Repo Men are Ludi Lin and Yayan Ruian. Reverend Larry in a cameo is Mike Muir from the band Suicidal Tendencies. Duke, Debbie, and Archie are rapper Machine Gun Kelly, Amy Mann, and Flea. Marlene is Natalie Emanuel. <laughs> and Ollie, the owner of the Repo Shop, the Helping Hands uh, Auto Shop, Helping Hands Acceptance Corporation, is uh, LA's Danny Trejo. And uh, I like it. Yeah. Amazing. And what do you have coming up? Um, I have a couple things. Uh, it's Christmas time. So a biblical film that I did last year, uh, Chasing the Star, 
um, about the search for the baby Jesus in Bethlehem. That is out. That's available for rental and purchase on Amazon. Good old Amazon. Um, and then some upcoming things. I have 490 in which I play an inmate in Jackson prison, a kind of a very famous prison in the state of Michigan, uh, whose sentence is commuted, who comes back to visit a inmate, a black inmate, um, mostly because he's forced to, uh, that's 490. And, um, also wacko Rory lion man in which I have a small role as an abusive boyfriend. And, uh, it's a revenge story. Coincidentally, the girl who plays my girlfriend, who I abuse in wacko Rory lion man, Diana Salinas turns around and she's one of the prison guards in 490. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's a little weird thing that happened. Yeah. And I cannot recommend highly enough. Kill the Irishman. Uh, it's so much fun to get to see Jimmy alongside of like, you know, Vincent D'Onofrio and all these Hollywood heavyweights in a fight scene. Steve Sharippa from the Sopranos is great. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's phenomenal. Lots of good performances. Getting, like Linda Cardellini, one of my favorites from freaks and geeks. I had no clue who she was when we worked together. I absolutely did not. I did not watch freaks and geeks and I wasn't into this. Uh, Scooby-Doo franchise. I had no idea who she was. And I think someone put Almighty Lumberjacks of Death on iTunes, which I'm going to guess you probably don't get any money from. No, yeah, someone did. Probably my guitar player. (laughs) But um, a Detroit band that I think is absolutely phenomenal. Um, The peak of them was definitely around Desert Storm time. They wrote some really great patriotic songs. And I think we're in an age where people confuse patriotism with nationalism. And I think one of the great things about ALD was they were patriots. They were a fun band. They did songs about drinking beer. Uh, Jimmy, like I said earlier, is a poet, is a great lyricist. And I urge people to check out Almighty Lumberjacks of Death. Jimmy, do you have like social media things you want people to go to? Oh, you can check out Jimmy Doom on IMDb and see all the film work. Um, I'm, uh, I have a page on Facebook, a Jimmy Doom page that I try to update regularly. Yeah, that's about it. I'm not, oh, I have an Instagram, Doomatron. That's mostly, that's mostly my cats. So if you're a cat lover, the Doomatron page is a lot of, a lot of cats. Um, I don't do the selfie thing. I prefer to let, let somebody else put a camera in my face. Sam, what do you have coming up? All the sketch shows and improv shows will be happening before this episode drops. So I will just say you should follow me on Twitter at Sam Gash, S-A-M-G-A-S-C-H. You can see the stuff that I post about writing and what might be happening for stuff that I've written there, because I will probably be announcing it in an excited type way. And I am online everywhere at offthemic.com on our next episode. So our Christmas (laughs) episode, we're going to have a bonus Christmas episode. It's going to be The Long Kiss Goodnight, where Sam and I are going to be flying solo talking about Gina Davis. That's right. In the movie with the coolest someone taking a shot that has ever been seen in a movie. Leave a review and, uh, hey, actually even better than leaving a review, just tell one person about Ideal Remake and uh, let's expand our audience even more so. And thanks for listening. For anybody you tell, I personally will owe you one thumbs up because you're a swell person and I respect you. Sam has nice thumbnails. I do my best thinking on the bus. That's how come I don't drive, see? You don't even know how to drive. I don't want to know how. I don't want to learn. See? The more you drive, the less intelligent you are.